Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. It's so good to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you at our Creekside service, all of you at our Bonnie Oaks campus, all of you at North Thudawa campus, all of you watching and worshiping online. I am Tony Wallace. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and I get the privilege today of sharing with you God's Word. So go ahead and take your Bibles, open up in the Old Testament to the book of Daniel, or you can take your smartphone, open that app, Bible app to the book of Daniel. We also encourage you to do this, download and pull up our Silverdale app, because on the Silverdale app, you can actually find an outline where you can follow along and take notes. We all encourage you to take notes, because God speaks to you more when you're writing down the things that he's saying to you. Now, we're in a series this summer through the book of Daniel, and we're learning how to stand in a world that's crumbling all around us, and this is so applicable to where we live today. And today, what we're going to do is we're going to learn about these three men who stood when everybody else bowed down. Now, it's hard to stand against our culture when everybody's going one way. It's hard for you to stand against that, isn't it? I mean, in fact, even we know that the natural tendency of humans is to compromise. It's true. There's been study after study done showing that we as humans have a tendency to follow the crowd. One big study that was done over and over again is called the Ash Conformity Experiment. Basically, what they do is they would take actors and they'd pay them to do something that was out of the norm. Like, they'd go into an elevator and all the actors would come in, they'd press the button, and then they'd turn around and face the back wall rather than the door. And so then the subject would come in, see everybody facing the back wall. You know what they did most of the time? They would press the button and turn around and face the wall just like everybody else. Why? Because we have a tendency to follow the crowd. Let me give you another example of this. Check out this video here. You've got to decide which one of these three straight lines is the same length as this first card. So, where do you stand on this one? A, B, or C? Before you decide, take a look at what our volunteers picked. What's your choice? It's A. You think it's A? I think so. Okay, go to A. 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 It's A. Definitely A. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. I'm going with A. Okay. The answer seems obvious, right? Or is it? Take one last look. Are you going with these people who all picked A? Or did you choose to go with B or C? Time's up. Got your pick? Uh, It's A. You're going to go with the group? Yeah. All right. Great. Is that what you picked? Or did you go with another answer? It turns out the answer to this round is C. And while you likely chose C first and stuck with your answer, we also know that some viewers might have felt the peer pressure and switched to A. It's A. You see, that's the reality. 
We see what the rest of the world is doing, and we have this tendency to conform to it. We live in a bow-down world. And the only way that you're going to stand is you've got to determine, I'm going to live based on conviction, not conformity. You can see, I believe that all of our decisions, really, we make those decisions based on what I call them the three C's. One is convenience, the other one is criticism, and the third one is conviction. You see, a lot of people will make decisions based on convenience. What's easiest? What's the path of least resistance? Okay, everybody else is doing this. Okay, I'll do that. And so since it is the easiest, most Americans will always choose convenience. Or the second way that people make choices is based on criticism. Okay, well, I'm going to be criticized if I take a stand doing this, or people aren't going to like me as much. And so we are all people pleasers. We want people to like us. And so what do we do? That determines the way we dress, the car we drive, the neighborhood we do, what we put on social media. Why? We want people to like us. We don't want anybody to criticize us, right? Or you're going to make your decisions based on convictions, right? Convictions. I have a core set of values. I have these principles that's right and wrong, and I'm going to live based on my convictions, not based on convenience, not based on criticism. That's what we're going to learn today. We're going to see three men. You know, they're, they're, if you know Veggie Tales, it's Rack Shack and Benny. You know, you you have you know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and these guys they're in a culture where everybody else is bowing down, but they stand up. You're familiar with the story, but I want you to glean so much more from it. And so the first thing I want you to see, and you can see this on your outline as well, is we have this pressure to conform. We live in a world that is constantly trying to put pressure on us to conform to it. In fact, the Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Now, what I want to do is let me catch you up if this is your first week with us in Daniel. We know that in the book of Daniel that the children of God have been defeated. They're taken into captivity in Babylon. They've been given new pagan names. They're sent to Babylon University to basically brainwash them into a new way of thinking. And now they're told, you must worship our God. Your God is not the real God. Here's the real God. You must worship him. You see, here's something that you need to understand as we study the scripture, and especially this passage today, that God always creates and Satan always counterfeits. Everything that God creates, Satan will counterfeit it. But Satan's counterfeit is always a knockoff. It's like, you ever see those, you know, fake Rolexes before, right? I mean, you got a fake Rolex, you look at the real Rolex, you go, man, it really looks a lot alike. One's fake, one's real. Well, Satan always gives you the knockoff brand, right? I mean, it's not the real thing. And so what I want you to do is God creates Satan counterfeits. Let's look at the counterfeit that we see in this passage. Jot it down. First of all, you have the counterfeit king. You got the counterfeit king. King Nebuchadnezzar basically is going to say, hey, I'm the king of the world. Y'all worship me. Now, if you remember last week, he had this dream. He saw this huge statue, and there was this gold head, and Daniel said, you know what? That's you. The gold head is you, but your kingdom's going to fall. Other kingdoms are going to come after you. They're going to fall, but one day God's going to come, and he's going to set up a kingdom that's going to last forever. Does he set up a monument to God, and his kingdom is going to last forever? No. He's like, I'm king, I'm rule, I'm in control, worship my statue. Check it out, look at verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now for a little perspective, Statue of Liberty is 151 feet, this is 90 feet. Statue of Liberty is made of bronze, this is made of gold. 
talk about power, influence, control. He's saying, worship me, I am the God of gold, right? Look at verse 2, King Nebuchadnezzar sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the providence to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. He's basically got a dedication worship service. And he says, I want everybody to come, and I want you to bow down and worship my image here. Okay? I'm the king. Now, what's amazing to me is you go, okay, that's interesting history that happened 2,500 years ago. No, this history is repeated again and again and again. Let me just give you some modern-day examples, okay? Here's a picture from North Korea. And there's Kim Jong-un, right? And he says, bow down and worship me or die. I am the king. I am your God. You must worship me. Okay? Check out this other statue. This is Kirkmenistan. You have the king riding on a horse, right, to set up his kingdom. In fact, let's get a closer picture of him on the horse there. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus coming again, what's he riding on? A horse. Folks, that's copyright infringement. That's what that is. That's the counterfeit. God has the real thing. Satan always counterfeits it. Let me give you one more example. There's hundreds. Here's China. There's the premier on his throne. Come worship me. Adore me. Why does this keep repeating? Because, folks, the Bible doesn't just tell you what happened. The Bible tells you what always happens. There is a spirit of Babylon working 2,500 years ago. It's the same spirit that is working in our world today, setting up a counterfeit kingdom, and Satan wants you to worship it and adore it, right? Now, you may look at this and go, well, you know, King Nebuchadnezzar, man, he's an egomaniac. Gosh, sets up a, you know, statue of himself and want people to worship it. Well, can I just tell you something? Don't we do the same thing just in smaller ways? Right? We, we want to be in control. We want to be the king. We want to be the one in charge. We try to be in charge at work. Okay, can't be in charge at work. I'm going to be the lord of the home. Can't be lord of the home. Okay, I'll coach little league and bully 10-year-old kids around, right? That's what we do because we want to be in control. There's always a counterfeit kingdom that is out there that we have a tendency to go after. But there's not only a counterfeit kingdom and king. Jot down the second thing. There's also a counterfeit worship. Counterfeit worship. See, Satan doesn't care what you worship as long as you're not worshiping Almighty God. He will give you anything possible to become an idol in your life to keep you from worshiping Jesus. And so let's check out this worship service that they have. It starts with a preacher. I mean, this guy's got my job. He's a herald. He's going to proclaim and convince people to do something. Check it out, verse 4. A herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound. Okay? And then what we're going to see next is the worship team. Did you know they have a worship team? Yeah, verse 5, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, I mean, people may ask, you know, why do we have a worship service? Let me explain why. Because right now in heaven, there's a worship service going on, and we're joining what's happening in heaven. Well, Satan has a knockoff version of that. Here, Satan is creating church. They're having a worship service, man. I mean, they got a band. They got a great band. You go, why do we need a band? Listen, if Satan's going to counterfeit church, we need to have real church. I want our worship to be better than Satan's worship ever is. So we get the best instruments, best worship leaders, best sound system. Why? Because our worship is greater because it's more worthy of our king. 
So you got the counterfeit worship here. And so what are you supposed to do, okay? When you hear this music, again, look at verse 15. You are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into the furnace of fire. You will worship or you will burn. Now that takes a worship service to a whole other level, doesn't it? I mean, you may be here and a little distracted. You're looking at your phone, somebody's Instagram. Worship or burn? Oop, I better pay attention today, right? Now, obviously, we're not going to do that, right? But you know what? You should worship Jesus Christ. Why? Not because you could be thrown into a furnace, because he's already taken the furnace for you, and you're never going to go into that furnace. See, he's worthy of worship. And so, what happens? All right? You worship or burn, verse 7. Therefore... When all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp. They repeat this like seven times. And every kind of music, people of every nation, look at that, and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Does that sound familiar to you? It ought to. Why? Because in the book of Revelation, which is a fulfillment of the book of Daniel, Daniel prophesies these things. It's fulfilled in the book of Revelation. And in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9, you have Jesus Christ who is king and he's on the throne. And what is around him? It says everybody's worshiping him from all nations, tribes, people, languages. See, Nebuchadnezzar is trying to be the fake Jesus. He's trying to be the counterfeit Jesus. He wants worship like Jesus. All nations worship me, he says. And you know what? Then they call for a response, right? I mean, just like sometimes, you know, I may preach a message and ask, you know, people to respond by surrendering to Jesus Christ. I mean, have, you remember um, Billy Graham? And Billy Graham, he's gone on to be with the Lord. He's having a great day, by the way. Yeah, he really is. And I love Billy Graham, but I can remember once going to a Billy Graham crusade. Tampa Stadium, man, it was packed. Stadium, thousands of people. You have music, right? Have testimonies. You have Billy Graham preach the gospel, and then they give an invitation. You saw thousands of people respond. And what do they do? They say, Jesus is now going to be my Lord. Well, that's what you have here, okay? You basically have a worship service, and the response is, this is counterfeit evangelism. Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm the king, worship me, bow down. Can't give an invitation because there's no room. Everybody just bow down right where you're at. But if you don't, (laughs) you die. You see, that's the difference between Christianity and any other religion. Chuck Colson, one of my um, spiritual heroes, he basically said that's the difference. He said, you see, all other religions are imposition. You do this or die. Christianity is about proposition. You know what the difference is? Whenever a man proposes to a woman to be his wife, that's a proposition. For what? A relationship. Love. See, that's what God wants. God, God wants your heart. God wants your love. God doesn't want your conformity. You bow down or die. No, God wants your heart. You see, what's going on around the world right now? I mean, you, you stand for Jesus, you're going to be shouted down, right? You're, you're a bigot, you're a hater, whatever it may be. It's, it's crazy the world we live in. You know what's happening in Islamic country? We think we got a problem. We don't have any issues. In the Middle East you got Christians that stand for Jesus Christ. And what do they do? Islamic extremists go in there and say, you convert or die. And you got thousands of Christian martyrs around the world that said, I will not bow down to a fake king, a compromised king like Islam. So there's counterfeit worship here, right? A counterfeit king, counterfeit worship. But you know what else we see in this passage? There's a counterfeit hell, a counterfeit hell. 
I mean, just like there's consequences for rebelling against God, well, Satan's got his consequences too. Verse 8, some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. Whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews. Let's stop right there. Does that sound familiar? We got a problem with the Jews. This sounds like Hitler, doesn't it? Why? Because it's the very same spirit that controlled Nebuchadnezzar is the same spirit that controlled Adolf Hitler. We got a problem with the Jews. Let's throw them in the furnace, right? Again, history repeating itself. Why? Because it's the same demonic spirit controlling it behind it. Verse 12, there's some Jews here. You've appointed to manage the providence of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. Then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I set up? I thought I made it pretty clear. Bow down or die. I'm going to give you guys a second chance. Verse 15. Now, if you're ready, obviously you weren't before, but now you must be. If you're now ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? See, he's now picking a fight with God, isn't he? I mean... Ain't no God powerful enough to stop my power. I'm God. You see, the spirit of Babylon is always going to turn the heat up on you. It's always going to put more pressure on you to conform to this world and act like the rest of this world. You know, and the fact is, is that these guys didn't. I mean, can you imagine a scene that day? The music starts. Thousands of people on that plane bow down to that image. And three guys are standing up. That would be crazy, wouldn't it? That's what you and I are called to in this crazy world as well. So we've talked about the pressure to conform, and folks, we all feel it. We do. But now let's talk about the power to stand. I mean, how do you stand? How do you stand when the pressure's on? How do you stand when everybody else is compromising and falling around you? It's simply this. The only way that you do not bow your knee to the counterfeit king is if you first have bowed your knee to the real king. Make sense? You and I have to make a choice. I'm going to worship the real king, Jesus Christ, and only whenever you worship him first will you not bow down to the counterfeits around us. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, he's got a counterfeit kingdom. He's had counterfeit worship. He's got counterfeit hell. But you know what? These guys knew that there's a real hell. Did you know that Jesus taught about hell more than any other person? Do you know why? Because he knew it was real. Look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 4. Jesus said, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. You see, our God is a consuming fire, and every one of us are going to stand before God one day. 
And Jesus is saying, don't fear the person that can harm you physically, but they can't touch you spiritually. You fear the God who is Lord over both. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They had a greater fear of the living God than they did of this fake God, Nebuchadnezzar. You see, this is what's most important for you to understand. For you to stand in this world, you got to have a proper belief of who God is. And what I want you to do on your outline today, I want you to jot down three truths about who God is to you, okay? And so these are the, this is what they understood, three truths that helped them stand. Number one, first of all, our God is able. They believed that our God was able. Now, Nebuchadnezzar has just said, your God is not able to rescue you from my power. And they're going to say, you know what? Uh, we need to enlighten you, Nebuchadnezzar, about our God. Check it out. Verse 16 is amazing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. Verse 17. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. It may be through death, but our God's going to rescue us. But in your outline circle, the God we serve is able. Circle that in your Bible. The God we serve is able. Or let's shorten it. God is able. Let me say that again. God is able. I want you to say that out loud with me. Ready? Let's do it together. God is able. Let's say it again like we really believe it. Ready? God is able. Now, I believe this at the very core of my being. I've witnessed it again and again and again. God is able. The God that we serve, he's able to heal broken marriages. I've seen it done it hundreds of times. The God we serve is able to free people from addictions. I'm a living testimony of that. The God we serve, he is able to forgive the darkest of sins and make us new creations. I've seen hundreds of people come to faith and their life be transformed. God is able. We're surrounded by people that have limited power. They may set themselves up as the king, but they have limited power. But we serve a God who is unlimited in his power. God has no limits. Our God is able. You've got to hang on to that truth. Our God's able. There's a second truth that they believed in is this, that our God is worthy. Jot that down. Our God is worthy. Even when things don't work out, I'm still going to worship you, God. Why? Because you are still worthy, right? I mean, they say in verse 17, our God is able, but look at verse 18, one of the greatest statements of faith in the Bible. Verse 18, but even if he does not, <laughs> we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold. In your Bible circle, even if he does not, what do you call that? That is conviction. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are making their decisions. They're heroes to me because they're not, they're not based on criticism. They're not going to live their life based on convenience. No, they're going to live their life based on conviction. Even if he does it, we're still not going to worship you. See, so many Christians have this let's make a deal kind of religion. God, I'll follow you if you do this. God, I will love you if you do that. God, God I, I will serve you if you do these things. Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, God, you are worthy of worship and I awe you no matter what. God, you're worthy. You see, I have people that sometimes come to me and say, well, I, I tried Christ and it didn't work. And I'm like, okay, tell me what do you mean by that? Well, I prayed and asked God to do this, and he didn't do it, and so, you know what, it doesn't work. Listen, we worship God because he's God. 
We, we, worship, we don't worship God because of the results we may want. Can I just tell you something? If you worship God based on your convenience, eventually the pressure is going to come on you. Well, eventually you'll de- deny Christ. You'll eventually deny God. But you, you have to make a choice. I am either going to choose to live my life based on convenience or I'm going to live my life based on Jesus Christ. If you don't have that conviction to live for Jesus Christ, period, eventually this world's going to make you bow down. You see, it's real easy for us to get all excited about the first truth. Woo, God is able, and he is. But the second truth is just as powerful. If God is God, he's God during the good times, and he's good during the bad times. I mean, that's how Job made it through all the trials of his life. He says, you know, he gives and takes away. I'm going to bless him in the good times. I'm going to bless him in the hard times as well. He's still worthy of worship, even whenever he doesn't come through the way I want him to. You see, our God is able to heal of cancer. But I will still worship him even if he doesn't. Our God is able to rescue my adult children if they make bad choices. But even if he doesn't, I'm still going to love him. I mean, my God is able to give me the new job that I need. But even if I don't, I'm still going to serve him with all of my heart. You see, that's what he's saying. They're saying, Nebuchadnezzar, you know what? Our God is able to do anything. But we can't manipulate our God. He is Lord over us. We're not Lord over him. He's God, and we're going to worship him no matter what. Now, Nebuchadnezzar cannot handle that kind of faith. So look what happens. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression of his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. I mean, he was burning with anger, and he wanted them to burn. So the Bible tells us that he gets some men from his army, mighty men, you know, big guys with no necks kind of thing, and they bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and bind them up, and they throw them into the fire. And the Bible says the furnace is so hot that these mighty men die from just the heat of the furnace. So they're in the furnace now. So what happens next? Well, here's the third truth that I want you to hang on to in our compromising times. Number three is this. Our God is with us. Our God is still with us. See, you will not stand if you think that you're always standing alone. But you will stand if you know that God's got your back. And God is with you even in the furnaces of life. Check it out. Look at how the story ends. Verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet. He had been on the throne. He stood up in amazement and asked his advisors, "Uh, Weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? Government officials pulled out their clipboards. Oh, one, two, three. Yes, three. Verse 25. Look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth likes, looks like a son of the gods. Now, let's do a math equation here. There were three guys that were thrown in. Now, there's four guys. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically who the fourth man was. But let's just ask, who do you know? That defies death. Who do you know that can appear and disappear? Who do you know that can walk through walls? Who do you know that can walk out of death? Who do you know that looks like the Son of God? Well, could it be the Son of God? Most definitely. I believe this is a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ. They went in the fire and suddenly the real king shows up to be with them. It's the very same king that says to every one of you, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you. Now, There's a group in Christianity today has what's known as escapism theology. They basically say if you could pray with enough faith, God's always going to work the miracle. You'll always be delivered from every pain, every trial. But that's not always the case in the Bible, is it? I mean, the Bible 
most of the time what you see is not that God delivers out of, but most of the time God delivers through, right? Noah had to go through the flood. Daniel and his three friends had to go through Babylon. Jesus went to the cross. The the, the fact is, is that God may not deliver you from the pain, but God promises that he'll be with you in the pain. 23rd Psalm says what? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Jesus is that fourth man who promises to be with you. He's never leaving you or forsaking you. Whatever furnace you go through in this life, you have the fourth man, Jesus Christ, standing with you. But I want you to know that Jesus does something greater. He does something greater for you than he even did with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because you know what? Jesus got in it with them, right? And he does that with you as well. But I want you to think about the cross. Jesus went to the cross alone for you. Jesus doesn't grab us and make us endure the cross with us, with him. No, Christ went on the cross alone in your place. He was the substitute. He took your sin and my sin. He took the death and hell that all of us deserve. Jesus Christ did that on the cross. And just like these three men walked out of this furnace, Jesus walked out of the tomb. And 40 days later, he ascended on high where he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he is Lord and King of kings. And one day he's coming again and he's going to conquer all the counterfeit kings of this world. And his kingdom will last forever and forever and forever. But until that day, if you stand in the fiery furnaces of life, he will be with you. Jesus said, Last words of Jesus before he ascended. He said, I will be with you even to the end of the age. I know that some of you right now, you're facing a furnace. Get it. And you feel weak. And you feel like you're ready to bend the knee to this world. But I'm asking you, will you bow first to Jesus Christ? Ask him to be with you in the furnaces of life. And if you do, you're going to be able to stand. Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a six-week sermon series called Jesus in the Midst. John chapter 13 and 14 record Jesus's final words to his disciples in the upper room. They are about to enter the darkest moment in history and Jesus shares with them the essentials of what they need to walk through them. You know, the things they needed in the midst of their darkest hour are the same things we need in ours. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses or online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. Lastly, there are so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing at Silverdale. We really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on all our different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.